I'm Shauna Van Bogart, and this is Just Being. I am 17, sitting in the corner of an office downtown Rochester, Minnesota, and I'm watching a woman, Jill, stand behind her client, both of them looking in the mirror, and she's draping these different colored cloths around her neck and shoulders. And I'm sitting there thinking, I just discovered what I'm going to be when I grow up. As part of a self-study course in high school, I am here job shadowing an image consultant and then writing a report on this profession. And what I was watching was an expert in color and style psychology. This is Jill Swanson, and she is helping a client determine her best colors. And this was just one small part of the process that I witnessed that day. The image consulting profession is a massive umbrella. You will find professionals who not only work with individuals on their image, but also service providers that work with corporations. And the subject areas to which they're speaking to are appearance, body language, behavior, etiquette, communication. What Jill was doing that day, to which I was witnessing this happen, was working with a woman one-on-one to help her take the guesswork out of getting ready in the morning. And they talked about everything from her style proportions to updating her hairstyle to accessorizing in a manageable yet simple way to learning how to layer her clothes. So as a 17-year-old girl watching this go down, Jill became my idol that day. And as I look back and I imagine myself in that office, I'm pretty sure I just sat there with my jaw on the ground and stars in my eyes. I just thought that this was so freaking awesome. I'm talking major girl crush on Jill. And I just sat there and watched this process in amazement and watched this intelligent, gorgeous, down-to-earth woman doing work that she seemingly loved and doing work that I did not know existed at the time. I mean, this was a goldmine of a discovery for a 17-year-old girl. Now, it would be really easy to look at someone like Jill and feel intimidated or even judge her. You might look at her and you might think, well, she was born with these exceptional looks and style. So what does she really know about overcoming confidence challenges or feeling insecure? But what people don't see from her impeccable exterior is that she was born with a rare birth defect and one that required multiple surgeries since very early on in her life. And as a result of understanding the impact of appearance and the impact of appearance on her life from a very young age, she was able to channel all of that special sensitivity and empathy into a booming business. She now has 25 years under her belt. She's nationally recognized and has a client list that includes companies like IBM, Hormel, TransUnion, etc. This opportunity to job shadow her came as a result of my mom and I talking about what I wanted to be when I grew up, and she had seen Jill speaking at an event and mentioned that it may be something I would be interested in, and she was right. And so I reached out to Jill totally cold, and she happily obliged me and let me sit in on this client session. Now, being in the profession myself, job shadowing is unheard of just because of the sensitivity of the client sessions. So I can't even believe that this happened in the first place, to be honest. I remember leaving that day saying to myself, this is it. This is so freaking cool. This is what I want to do. 
Many years later, you would see image consulting certification programs pop up in undergraduate schools like the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. But at this time, there was nothing really out there in traditional education if I wanted to pursue this. And because this was the same time period I was touring colleges and trying to determine what degree I would be pursuing, the closest thing I thought was to find schools in the realm of fashion marketing or merchandising. I was hoping to find a degree that would intersect both business and fashion and style. I also knew that I really wanted to work with people. So I am actively perusing schools online that were fashion related, but I never got to applying to any of those because during this search, September 11, 2001 happened. I was a senior when 9-11 happened and like so many of you, I will never forget that moment. I was far removed in Rochester, Minnesota. I did not know anyone in New York City at that time. But watching from my first period class that morning, it activated something within me like it did for a lot of people. I was young enough to not really understand the full implications of the day at that time but old enough at 17 years to deeply feel the effects of it and also wonder what would this mean even for my older brother who was in the military at the time. We were at school, but there were no classes being taught that day or the next. It was the first major event in my life that I had shared with a room full of unrelated people. You know, tragedies happened within the family and they're kept relatively private or they're tucked away in your personal life, but Being in a room full of people, all watching the TV that day and feeling the emotions of that day, all of us processing what's happening in that moment, that was really profound for me. And I couldn't exactly put words to it. In that moment, the very real emotional ramifications of 9-11 itself aside, I was feeling overwhelmed because it was the first time I remember realizing that something else was happening within me. I wouldn't put a word to it until much later in life, but it was my first hint at being an empath. You know, if you have allergies and you walk outside and you're like, oh, you know, I have allergies today. I'm I'm getting a stuffy nose and all of that. To me, empaths are that way with energy. So they're going to start feeling some things when it's really heavy out or there's a lot of emotional stardust floating around. That day was, I mean, supremely intense. So there's no doubt that you were feeling it. This is Aleka Thorbelson, a holistic counselor and life coach with a long list of credentials. But one of her specialties is helping empaths integrate that part of themselves effectively in their lives. Being empathic, as she told me, is a branch of intuition. I had not heard of that word empath until much later in life, despite checking every single box of what it meant to be an empath. And I've come across various definitions of essentially what being an empath is. I've always chalked it up to being a highly sensitive individual. Usually people who are empathic are adept at sensing what the people around them are thinking and feeling. And for me, it was abundantly clear from a young age that people affected me beyond a normal degree. You heard me describe myself as sensitive, and we've talked already about being empathic to a degree. And that's just essentially what I thought. I'm just a highly sensitive person, and 
something's wrong with me. But I started to notice that I could be totally fine. And then I would walk into a room and suddenly feel things sharply without any obvious trigger. So I started to question over time, is this really me? What's really going on here? Now, obviously, 9-11 was intense all around. But being in a room full of people that day was like this overstimulation of all kinds of things, emotions across every end of the spectrum. But being empathic does not always mean you just sense what people are thinking. Sometimes it's physical, right? A, a physical empaths can feel the physical feelings. For example, if you come in with a headache and I come talk to you, um, my head might start hurting. And these are really empowering talent for someone who's like a medical intuitive right? They can tell what's going on in the body and what someone is, is physically feeling. Some people, um, some empaths pick up on people's emotions, physical feelings. There's uh, empaths for animals, animal empaths that pick up on animals. I hired Aleka almost seven years ago now. She was actually my first experience in a sort of talk therapy kind of setting. She was my first counselor. We'll talk about that in a later episode. And it was really hard before I could fully grasp what was going on within me related to my sensitivity. And I remember one of the first things that I said to her, more like demanded from her in that first session was, how do I care less? Please, please show me how to care less. Whether that be in my relationship with Jay or how other people were acting around me, I was so fed up with myself for feeling so over-consumed with what other people were doing or what other people were not doing. Of course, it sounds awful to say you want to care less, but it felt like I cared so much about what was happening around me that it was exhausting. I started to shut down. I preferred to isolate myself because there were times where it just was too intense. What you just said there is one of the challenges of being an empath, is feeling a lot, caring a lot, being very sensitive. And it can be exhausting. It's an exhausting placement. So how do I care less is, first of all, what is this thing that I have? Help me understand it. Help me gain the gifts from it. What Aleka helped me to understand is that number one, Oh, there's a word for this, a word for what I've been experiencing. It's called being an empath. And oh, number two, there really is a way to manage this, that nothing is wrong with me. We just have to harness it correctly. So the the concept, even just understanding, oh, I actually have some power over this. That's hugely important. And then obviously understanding the emotions because sometimes empaths just feel everything all the time. It's like this hay fever of stuff, you know, and I I can't even separate it. So being able to develop that emotional intelligence to recognize the feelings you're feeling are just trying to give you information. Once you get the information, they can go on. You don't have to feel them anymore. That moment in 2001 was a floodgate of emotions and I was glued to that TV. That was the first time I experienced feeling totally absorbed in a world event, not wanting to miss a single thing. There was this deep desire of wanting to be in the know and everything that I previously thought was important immediately seemed insignificant, including a degree in fashion, merchandising, and marketing. 
And it was like this light switch. My interest in pursuing anything style related flipped off immediately. It felt so surface level compared to what was happening in the world. And within myself, I was witnessing this shift of this new requirement I was wanting for myself in my career. It had to have some bigger depth to it because whatever I was feeling in that moment felt very important to me. With the emotional intelligence, what that means is, is that you welcome all the emotions. You welcome the intelligence of all the emotions, right? We have so many emotions that are shamed, like anger or shame even, or anxiety. And we go, oh, I don't want to feel that. That's bad. I want to feel these good emotions. I don't want to feel that. I want to feel happy. And in truth, embracing our, all our whole selves and all of our emotional intelligences is about saying, what is this anger asking of me? not a bad thing. It's, there's nothing wrong with being angry. It's, it's a beautiful and empowering and passionate and a place where you probably need to set a boundary or speak up for yourself in some way. And that day you took that emotion. And instead of, I suppose you could have taken that and went to a place of despair or depression. And instead you took that feeling of maybe it was fear or it was anger or rage or sadness. And you said, I have to do something with this, which is the whole point of the awakening of emotions. If anyone has ever felt anything incredibly emotional, it is there to give you an important message. And that was very likely the message that you got. So almost immediately, I pivoted to pursuing schools with journalism programs. That felt like a better container where I could swim in the depths of what I was wanting. I love to solve puzzles. I love digging around in those depths. I really enjoyed the nooks and crannies of a situation or a circumstance and understanding it from every angle. And it felt like it provided that seriousness that I was looking for. So I ended up enrolling in the University of Iowa, Go Hawks, for their journalism program, but I didn't stay in that very long. 9-11 and journalism activated me to go to Iowa, but I pretty quickly pivoted to communication because I was looking for more of an interpersonal subject area. And journalism felt a little bit too hands-off, and I was really wanting to work with people But I also wanted something to beef that up. So I tapped on a business administration minor, and then I discovered that there was an entrepreneurship certificate program through the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center. And as soon as I discovered it, hand was in the air, sign me up. The program at the time was relatively new. Less than 400 undergrads had completed it. And Iowa at this time was being recognized as a national leader in entrepreneurship education, So right around the time I decided to join the program, Iowa was receiving many awards, one being the prestigious National Model Program Award from the Association for Small Business and Entrepreneurship, Forbes, the Princeton Review, Entrepreneurship Magazine. They were all ranking Iowa within the top 10 campuses for comprehensive entrepreneurship programs. So by the time I graduated in 2006, I was around the 500th student to complete this program. This is why I was here, not for the journalism, for this. And looking back, it's so clear the universe was constantly course correcting me. You know, I'm over here looking for schools in New York for fashion. And it was like, nope, what you really want is over here. You don't know that yet. So we're going to use journalism as a bridge to get you there. And I can see these universal course corrections so easily when I look back and connect the dots. The challenge is remembering that we've got this ultimate guidance going on in the present moment. So can we trust it and give way to it? What I loved about that entrepreneurship program and the appeal of it was that you could create this freedom in your career path. 
to do whatever you wanted to do, whatever you love to do. Overall, however, I was not the best student of entrepreneurship. Certain concepts I just could not wrap my mind around. And I really struggled with some of the core curriculum, specifically entrepreneurial finance and things like production, innovation, and management. The very pragmatic tactical stuff was actually where I was weak. Not surprising, the two classes I did fairly well in were marketing and a consulting course. The consulting course was cool because we were partnered with local businesses for an entire semester to provide growth and consulting services. And I absolutely love that. So the very last day of the program, I'm a senior gearing up to graduate. The main professor gives us this pep talk. And the pep talk is essentially this. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. And then you're going to fail. And then you're going to fail again. And then you're going to be successful. And I remember thinking, well, this is a major buzzkill and also challenge accepted. That won't be me. I don't fail, right? I spent most of my life avoiding failure. You know, white ribbons are not acceptable. So this is for other students. This is not for me. I took what he was saying almost as this warning to therefore work harder to prevent that from happening. I took it in almost as, you know, reverse psychology. Oh, he's just, you know, trying to get us motivated. What he was actually saying is that this is not only normal to fail and fail and fail and fail and then get it right when it comes to building a business, but it's okay if this is the way that it pans out because this sort of is the life of an entrepreneur. So Professor Hensley, you were right. And I wish I could have had the capacity to really hear what you were saying in that moment because it probably would have saved me a lot of grief, a lot of judgment, a lot of internalization. So here I am, this recent graduate, feeling invincible and blissfully ignorant and still totally confused on what I wanted to be when I grew up. And it felt like I had all of these ingredients, but no container to put them in, right? I had these degrees and these certificates. I, during school, was working upwards of 30 hours a week at Zales Jewelers, selling diamonds on commission to nervous soon-to-be husbands. And I had all these really awesome skill sets, skill sets that I did not have previously, especially that sales commission job. Learning how to sell, especially selling a luxury good and negotiate and reach out to people cold. I mean, that was a very valuable experience for me that provided a very nice foundation for my entrepreneurial career. So as I said, it's like I had all these ingredients, but I didn't have the recipe. I didn't know how to put them together and make something of a career out of it. So the next big milestone for me was to get to the East Coast. For whatever reason, it just felt like I needed to be on the East Coast. So I did what any freeloading little sister does. I call my big brother who lived in Charleston at the time and I asked, hey, can I move in with you? It's on the East Coast. It's right on the water. Not ideally where I thought I would be. I thought I would be up in the Northeast. You know, I was looking at Boston or New York or somewhere up there, but I figured I might as well start where I know at least someone and hey, free rent, at least for a little bit. So I call my brother. He's married, right? I have a nephew at the time. That nephew is two years old. And they say yes. And I was genuinely excited to have this time with him because my brother's 10 years older than I am. And I never really had an opportunity to be close to him. So this was kind of a unique opportunity all the way around. And this deserves a big shout out because I am now roughly the age that they were. 
when I moved in with them. And I'm not going to lie. I don't know if I would be as on board as they were with my husband's 21-year-old sister moving in, especially if I had a two-year-old. So thank you for that. Trust me, I don't take it for granted. Major shout out to the family there. So this is how I get to Charleston, where I'm still based out of. And this is where life really starts to get interesting. Now, in my mind, as I said, I did not really plan to stay here. I planned to work my way up the coast, but life had other plans for me. I mentioned that there was this whole other closeted side to me. I called it the metaphysical side, the intuitive side, the spiritual side, whatever you want to call it, this sort of prophetic side to me that I felt definitely weird about. And I had these gifts at the time that some friends knew about, but mainly they just were stuffed in this closet and I didn't talk about it and I wasn't giving any sort of credence to. And when I sit and reflect back, I can see so clearly that moving across the country with no plan, with everything I could just fit in my car, with no idea what my future had, a lot of these moves were actually me operating through intuitions. But I certainly in the moment was not recognizing just how important intuition really was for me and how big of a role that would play in my adulthood, certainly my self-employed career. Here is Aleka again defining intuition for us. Intuition um, is a way to acquire knowledge or information in a non-linear or non-logical way. The root word means to look inside or to contemplate. So, you know, we have the right and the left brain. It's information from that perhaps right brain versus the left brain that likes to rule logic and linear thinking. She goes on to say that we are conditioned to live in our left brain. We live in a left brain culture. Because of this, we end up relying more on the left brain. We make it special and we force the right brain lower on the spectrum. We sort of shame it away as silly or a force that lacks substance like the linear logical brain. The other thing that's important to recognize is that the left brain is measurable. We can look at it and know what it's doing. It's focused on achievement. Intuition doesn't work in this realm. It's metaphoric, it's symbolic, it's not definable. We tend to lean towards comfort and away from uncertainty. I mean, from an evolutionary's perspective, that makes sense. Uncertainty is where the danger is. So we can see that we would want to rely more on something that's tangible, that we can touch, that we can prove. And this uncertainty thing over here, that's scary. So it's easy to see how we've sort of set this up. In truth, uncertainty is where all the, the cool stuff happens. The goal is not to pick one over the other. Ideally, we need both. I think it's important to try to weave the two together and know when to use logic for logical questions and know when to use intuition for anything involving passion, purpose, creativity. Those are not logical questions. Love, not a logical question. The challenge I see play out with most of the clients who come to see me is they are trying to reconcile this balance. They polarize the two and they're heavy in one over the other. I asked Aleka what she saw in terms of a pattern with her clients who are most often heavy in their left brain over their intuition. I see people that are working with half their compass. So we can feel rudderless, we can feel lost, we can feel bored. There's a lot of shooting on ourselves. There's a lot of comparing. There's a lot of, well, this is what they said I should do, so I should be happy. I think we can feel purposeless. 
you know, we can feel depressed, very focused on stuff like control and managing and trying to be achieving whatever it is we're supposed to be achieving. Remember, I talked about measurable standards of the linear mind. So we're doing all these things where Facebook likes and, you know, all the awards and we're going, why am I feeling so flat? So yes, there's this right brain knowing, but what about some of the other kinds of intuitive gifts that some people have, myself included, although I didn't acknowledge them for quite some time. My experience with intuition is that the more I acknowledge those gifts, the more I utilize that side to me, the more the gifts evolved. And we can all cultivate our intuitive gifts. In my experience, I have found that people tend to have one dominant sort of entry point into intuition, whether it's being a, you know, a shaman or a, what I would call like an earth or physical intuist, or it's a physical healer perhaps, or maybe it's a clairvoyant or someone who's a psychic or a medium or however the names we add to it. And as they start to develop their intuition, what they'll notice is other parts start to get online. So I think it's important to recognize that we start with one, And then often other parts get awakened. Although I will also add, I think it's really important not to set the intention that I'm going to be a medium or I'm going to do this and to let it unfold. That seems to work better with developing intuition. That last little bit, I agree 1000%. Not only because this has been my experience with it, but anytime I did try to force it, it didn't work. So I just surrender completely. And as time has gone on, that more mystical, for a lack of better words, these intuitive gifts have evolved organically and rather rapidly over the past few years. It took me a really long time to integrate that within my business. Part of this story and part of this series is unraveling for you my journey to owning that side to me and how it plays a role in my business so that you can see that it is safe for you to do the same. And not only safe, but it's profitable for you to do the same. I'm not special. My belief is we all have intuitive gifts if we desire and choose to acknowledge them. And for so long, I had been playing out these gifts. Other people were recognizing them in me and I had completely dismissed them. And that was what prevented me from really stepping into the levels of depth that I'd been craving, especially since that 9-11 moment. As I said, being a high achiever, that was my focus, achieving. My focus was not on this bucket of seemingly fluffy and weird things and incorporating these tools in anything I did professionally. There was no place for that in my mind. And there were no conversations happening around this. No one in business, at least in the circles that I was in early on, no one was talking about this. So When you see everyone talking about the fairly traditional, logical, left-brain topics as it relates to business, it can make you feel even more alone, even more weird, even more confused on what this other bucket of stuff is. Now in business, and even with my friends and family, my sister-in-law calls me a witch and, you know, obviously jokingly, but I embrace it, you know, because I can't deny how helpful It has been not only in my life personally, but in the lives of my clients. I didn't know what I was doing in Charleston when I moved there. I had only a brother whose home I could squat in till I figured it out, and that's all I knew. I didn't have plans to start a business. 
I didn't have plans to meet my future husband. I didn't have plans to reverse engineer any sort of vision that I had. I just was moving on hunches, operating by gut. Aleka said, the unknown is where the magic happens. And I bet you can look back in your life and see how a lot of things actually flowed quite easily. Resources maybe fell in your lap or doors were opened when you were in those unknown moments. When things are too tightly controlled, too tightly planned, when we leave no space for that magic, as she calls it, we get into micromanaging the universe who is trying so hard to give us the things we want. Much faster, by the way, if we would just get out of the way and allow it. And so because I was living in this big state and space of the unknown, a lot of doors opened for me when I moved to Charleston. That's the big takeaway. How can you invite more of the unknown into your day-to-day life? And how can you allow your intuitive gifts to have a seat at the table? More to come next time on Just Being. SVB here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Being and that you'll be continuing along this journey with us in the next episode. In the meantime, I have pulled something from my personal toolbox and posted it for you over at my website on shaunavanbogart.com. You will definitely want this in your back pocket. It is for tapping into your truth quickly and getting unstuck fast. It is my personal three-sentence journaling hack that I use on a regular basis that helps me get really clear, feel better, and attract what I really want. It's to help me get out of my head and into motion and into inspired action as fast as possible. You can find this tool over at shaunavanbogart.com forward slash get light. Just Being is produced by Jeremy Enns and the team at Counterweight Creative. Special thanks to Sarah Ashman and her team, Shauna Hader, Michael Weston, and Kelly Elizabeth for making this labor of love look and feel as beautiful as I felt creating it. And to my right-hand woman, Jess Butler, for always keeping me in line. Mm-hmm.